0: You may be seated. Last Sunday, we read from Psalm 139 to hear what an amazing knowledge of God was revealed in the songs of that shepherd boy, king of Israel, David, son of Jesse. We read these words of David, have them on the screen for you. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. The word Sheol I commented on last week is somewhat of a mystery, but it referred to beneath the ground, being dead, being buried, a descent into uh, some nether world apart from God. It came to be almost a reference to hell in a way. So Sheol was something that was not the great place to be. This morning, we are going to read of a time when David did the ladder, when he did not ascend to heaven, but he descended into hell Um, he made his bed in Sheol and evidently forgot that God was present there too or maybe David composed Psalm 139 after this particular sad episode in his life I'm referring to the time when David had sent his army into battle, but instead of going with them, he remained in Jerusalem in the palace. We believe this was in a latter part of his life. He had subdued one enemy of Israel after another and brought general peace and a, a substantial kingdom of Israel under David. And yet there was always someone on one border or another encroaching and threatening. And so David sent his army but remained at home. Uh, This is found, this story is found in the second Samuel, uh, chapter 11 and 12. And uh, by the way, there is only one book of Samuel, and only one book of Kings and only one book of Chronicles because um, they were divided, that the one book was divided in two parts because a papyrus scroll could only be wound so many times and then it was too heavy and too long to unroll and read. And so for the longest books in the Old Testament, they had to make two scrolls. And that's the only reason we have first and second Kings or Chronicles or Samuel. So in the eleventh chapter of 2 Samuel, um, there is this story of David staying in back in Jerusalem. Um, You remember the story that he was in the palace one one day. And um, the palace, no doubt, was not the smallest home in Jerusalem. A palace is a palace. It needs to be the most formidable, imposing structure, the richest, the strongest in all of the city. It does look down on everything else. I grew up in Washington, D.C., and no building in Washington was permitted within a certain radius of being higher than the Washington Monument or the Capitol. Important places are supposed to be prominent, and so David was above the city, and he happened to look down, and there he first caught sight, we suppose, if he had not met her already, of the woman named Bathsheba. Bathsheba was, was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite was not a Jew, was not descended from them, but was a formidable warrior who became a follower of David and uh, became a, a leading officer in David's army. The Commander-in-Chief David um, invited the young officer's wife over for a cup of tea and adultery. She sent a thank-you note later to let David know she was expecting. And the story goes that David devised a plan whereby he could cover uh, the deed he had done. And so he invited Uriah, sent word with a messenger to the battle area, asking the commander to send Uriah back to Jerusalem to speak with the king. And David spoke with him and then said, now go and spend the evening with your wife before you go back. Uriah was the type of devoted military officer who had great loyalty to his comrades and to those he commanded. And he would not return to his home while they were on the battlefield. So he slept in the hall of the palace. And when David found that out the next morning, he was concerned. The plan had not worked. He kept him a second night and treated him to a feast and tried to give him more to drink than he could handle and said, sent him back again. Uriah was still able to have the wits to say, I will not return to my home until all of my troops can return to their home. And the next morning, David found that out and so he devised another plan. And he, got a, he wrote a note to the commander, sealed the note, with the wax that a a king seals a special message. And Uriah carried back to the commander the message that would result in his own death. For David instructed the commander to order Uriah's unit to attack the enemy. And when they had engaged in battle... The commander was to withdraw the troops from around Uriah who was leading and allow Uriah to be killed by the enemy, which did happen. Word came back to the palace that the deed was done. The widow, Bathsheba the wife, heard of her husband's death and she mourned. And after her period of mourning, David invited her to come into the palace and to be his wife. That would be to be his latest wife, for he had numerous wives. Time went on, and she bore a child. And that's when uh, our text begins for this morning. I invite you to look on the screen for this, but first, remind myself to ask in prayer for God to help us understand his word. Pray with me for a moment. Lord, we begin to read your word, and we try to remember the words that preceded and that followed the events of that story. We pray that you would help us to understand what you are teaching us uh, in every portion of your word, and this one this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel, the twelfth chapter, verse one through nine. So this is after the baby is born. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him. And said to him, first, let me say that Nathan was the chief prophet during this period of david 's reign. He had been before David numerous times, and with David, they were close. Uh, david, uh, nathan had made a mistake earlier in uh, this second Samuel when david, when David had come to Nathan and said, nathan I am going to build a house for the Lord. Here I am living in a palace, and I I, I think it's wrong for me not to build a greater house for the Lord. And Nathan immediately said, Good idea. Great. May God bless your endeavors. And then when Nathan was by himself, the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, go and tell David that's not a good idea. He is not to build a house for me. But instead, I will build a house for him, a house that will be eternal in the heavens. And it is another one of the messianic messages in the Old Testament where even Nathan delivers part of this story of the Messiah to King David And why Jesus is later called uh, by blind Bartimaeus, Son of David, have mercy on me, Son of David. For Jesus was in the lineage of David. And one of his messianic titles was Son of David. Nathan learned in that experience to not pop off, (laughs) but to seek God's counsel before he gave counsel to the king. And so certainly enough time has passed that Nathan has sought counsel from the Lord. And it says that the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. He brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom. It was like a daughter to him, Nathan was saying to David. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against that man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan may have paused before he said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives unto your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Usually when congregations hear this scripture, the sermon that follows is focused on the person of David over and over and over again. There is so much in the life of David from his beginning appearance as a shepherd boy to his death that we have so much to be taught by God through the life of this man, David rising from obscurity and simplicity, tending sheep, to being the ruler of the great kingdom of Israel in his day, a force to be reckoned with in the Middle East. Yes, David has much to teach us. God has much to teach us through many of the stories of David. But not this morning. Instead, we will focus on Nathan, Nathan was a servant of the Lord as much as David. God spoke through Nathan as much as he spoke through David. What God spoke through Nathan was as important as what God spoke through David. If David was called by God to face Goliath, Nathan was called by God. To face David. If David was given courage to face Goliath, Nathan was given courage to face the ultimate monarch, sovereign ruler of the kingdom of Israel. Goliath ruled the battlefield, David now ruled the king of Israel. David could have lost his life. Confronting Goliath, Nathan could just as much lost his life in confronting his king. The Lord was with David before Goliath. The Lord was with Nathan before David. I think a lot about what we read each Sunday and how God would apply his word to our lives. I wonder sometimes whether we are centered so much on ourselves individually or as a church family that we ignore the world out there. This is a refuge. This is a holy place for us, a holy time, a ministering time for us individually and us together. But I worry whether we come here and focus inward on ourselves and pretend that the rest of the world is not in chaos around us. I worry that we are burying our heads like ostriches rather than mounting up with wings as eagles sometimes. Do we concentrate on God speaking to us so much that we fail to let God speak through us to the world around us or even speak to people in leadership positions in the world outside of here? Yes, Nathan was one servant of God speaking to another servant of God. But Nathan was also a prophet speaking to a king, one who was called to lead people in their relationship with God and one who was called to lead the people in their relationship with each other and the world around them. It was like the church speaking to the state. Now, I have you worried. Harry is opening a can of worms here. (laughs) But I'm well aware of the danger that this suggestion this morning, this word this morning, might lead us into as a congregation. It is destructive to the body of Christ or any of its individual forms around the world to become divided by political issues and party preferences, and this question and that question, debated by others in other realms of life besides the church. But Jesus said we are the salt of the earth and we're the light of the world. He spoke a great deal about us interacting with the world Jesus spoke clearly to the leaders of the people of his day. He spoke to the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. Jesus spoke to them about their hypocrisy, their spiritual and moral failures. Nathan was sent by the Lord to David to let him know that he would be accountable for despising the word of God regarding adultery and murder. Interesting that the murder was mentioned twice by Nathan, the adultery only once. Bathsheba's life went on, even though she was unfaithful to her husband and David. Obviously, as the ruler of the kingdom coerced her, She was a victim. But it was what David did in taking the life of of, of, uh, Uriah that was so awful. Someone who's so loyal to him, to the men he was leading, and that David would do that to someone. Um, Nathan was sent by the Lord to let David know that he would be accountable for both murder and adultery. As we read, watch, hear newspapers, television, radio, and hear events in the world around us, Yes, there have always been people saying things are worse than they used to be. Things are worse than they used to be. But friends, there is much for us to be concerned about in our world. The world around us in our day is still like that pot of water slowly heating to a boil, and we could be the frogs in that pot. Yes, we are to pray for leaders of the world and leaders around us. But are there times when we are also called to speak? Just to speak some basic words to them. Um, To speak to leaders on all levels, on all types of structures in our world, in government, in business. In education, in media, or medicine, or the church. As I thought about this and all that needs to be said in this situation and that situation, this event and that event, things we might disagree about on on whether this happened or that happened or it's this fault or that fault, I drew back and thought there are at least some basic things that we need to address today. And perhaps we are too silent about them. And perhaps we leave it just to individuals to do if they have the thought to do them sometimes. But I think there are three basic things that we find in the Word of God. That we should speak out about. And so I've just put these three words up. You might have a fourth or a fifth. And certainly these lead on to others. But I think these are things that we as followers of Christ can be united on. We need to speak words about integrity, we need to speak words about civility and we need to speak words about humility. First of all, on integrity. Integrity embraces truth. Integrity does not lie or employ deceptions. It is the first thing we should insist on and hold leaders accountable for, whether here or in the world around us, whether it's local or further afield than that. Why should we not participate in being that voice? With God as authority for that. Integrity does not lie or employ deception or exhibit rank and obvious hypocrisy time after time. Integrity earns trust and does not betray trust. Integrity is impartial, unbiased, uncompromised. We must speak that word to certain places in our world, on our national level, certain institutions, that we must demand, recover, that reputation of integrity, being impartial, unbiased, and uncompromised. Integrity is absolutely essential in every office of national government, state government, and local governments. In our judiciary, most of all, we must insist on integrity and speak out about that. For our judiciary is the final foundation, holding all the rest of the elements of our forms of government together, as well as individuals. But it's also necessary for our legislative and executive branches. Integrity is essential in our press and our media and in our systems of education and in all churches everywhere. The second word, civility, may seem unusual to you, but we have descended into a culture and a society that is engaged in communication that's extremely uncivil, no matter the level and and form, the place, the occasion. Civility is kindness in relating to others, in speaking to others, especially those you disagree with. Civility is loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. We are paralyzed when we are polarized and when we demonize one another and when walls become thick between us. The third thing is humility. Humility follows truth and grace. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus spoke a great deal about humility to his first followers. He does that for each of us. Those in leadership positions need to hear that more than everyone else. Humility. We need public servants, not self-servants. The concept of sacrificial service seems to have disappeared in many forms of leadership in structures in our society. We need to participate in being a voice and insisting that those who offer themselves for serving us as leaders are, first of all, humble, and see themselves and commit themselves and promise to be servants of us and not themselves. We should remember, therefore, that the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan did not write a letter to the editor. Nathan did not criticize David before a big crowd down in Central Park, Jerusalem. We should observe not only what God does and what God wants us to do, but how God does what God does and how God wants us to do what he wants us to do. I hope we think about this and talk about this. We don't very much. And as I go through worship after worship, together with you as your brother. um, I I worry that we're isolated and not giving ourselves, not talking about that together, things we can all agree together and we're not disagreeing about. We need to say this. We need to communicate. We need to communicate and affirm appreciation for those who do exhibit this. We need to let them know When was the last time we even sent a a note as a congregation to someone who served well with great integrity? We need to be in the world. Jesus sent us into the world to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the life, and the truth. He is love personified. We are to be that. And this country was founded on a system in which people felt accountable and understood that they were accountable to God and certain types of behavior, particularly in their roles as leaders. So this morning I just felt compelled to share this word about Nathan being as important as David. And truth needs to be spoken to power occasionally. It certainly does in our day. I invite you to consider thinking, keep thinking about this. I invite you to comment on this to one another and not just walk away from this sermon. I pray you will do that. For Christ's sake, for the sake of your neighbors, for the sake of your family, amen.